Welcome to the Newsletter Operator Podcast. I'm Matt McGarry. And I'm Ryan Carr. And in this podcast, we teach you exactly how to build, grow, and monetize your newsletter. We'll talk to the best newsletter operators, creators, and media founders in the space, breaking down their strategies and growth tactics. Awesome. Let's get into it. Hey, what's up? Welcome back to the podcast. I am Matt McGarry. I'm here with Ryan. Ryan Carr. What's up, man? Hey, hey. How's it going? Going good. I think this will be the first duo episode that we publish. We recorded one the other day, and that will come out soon. But we're going to get this one to the front because it's a hot topic. Yeah, I think we were both seeing a lot of discussion on Twitter yesterday, and honestly, maybe in like the past week as well, just about newsletters, what might be described as the hype cycle that we're in currently, and whether or not there's quote newsletter bubble so and i think we, we were both just like let's just record something tomorrow have a conversation about it and get it out as soon as possible let's get into the newsletter bubble question and so hunter weiss tweeted this out he thinks we're in a newsletter bubble people won't and can't sign up for a thousand newsletters open rates don't matter unless you have conversion data for links most of them are similar and have no voice and the best ones aren't selling you and the writing is unique maybe i described that wrong i don't know maybe i read that wrong but you get the idea right the first thing i'll address is like you can't sign it for a thousand news. I think this is kind of a common thing people have seen. It's like every media type has this problem. You can't listen to 20 podcasts a week. You can't read. You actually can read 20 newsletters. And a lot of people do, but you can't watch 20 YouTube channels. You can't read 20 books. Like every type of media has this problem. And we're just seeing like in the past six or 12 months, there's just been a lot more newsletters created than there were before that. Right. So I don't think that's uniquely what the problem is with newsletters. I think there's other problems that we'll discuss in a second. But that's kind of one rebuttal I would have to this is like every every type of media has this issue. If anything, people are going to be able to consume more newsletters than they would podcast or another type of media content. But again, it's it's always going to be more competitive. This is, that's just how media works. You have to be able to stand out. And it totally is true that most newsletters don't have a unique voice. The content isn't good, et cetera, et cetera. But every type of media has this problem too. Most Twitter accounts, Instagram profiles books, podcasts, et cetera, all of that same problem. So I don't think that's some, if someone's starting a newsletter today or getting into this, I don't think they should worry that there's too many newsletters because there's too many of everything. I think they should worry about other things that we'll get into that are a little bit more nuanced, especially around monetization and growth. So give me your take. Yeah. I think that, I mean, newsletters are just a medium, right? Newsletters are a tool to engage an email list that you're building. I don't know if there are necessarily too many newsletters. I think we're definitely in kind of a big boom or like a hype cycle right now with newsletters. And yeah, I mean, a lot of my takes around this are also based around expectations. People have seen, especially in the past two years, a lot of newsletters sell for high figures. And I think there might be maybe a, a mismatch in expectations and what's I guess like what in terms of like what what the end state is, what the end goal is. But yeah, let's talk about monetization. I think that that's like where the the heart, the root of the issue is, the root of the uh, discussion is. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up this newsletter. So like some of the bigger acquisitions that I've talked a ton about are like Morning Brew, of course, which was a $75 million sale. The Hustle, which was in the high 20 millions. Milk Road, The Peak. There's a couple other ones. There's like, you know, at least 10 plus newsletters in the past one or two years that have, have sold. And I think one thing about monetization is interesting is all of those kind of have the same business model, which is sponsorships and ads. 
And now we're seeing that type of business model not work as well, but not just for newsletters, literally for all types of media companies, advertising across the board, across all of media is down, including newsletters. So that way to monetize hasn't worked as well. And the newsletters that have solely relied on that as a way to make money have struggled, whereas the ones that have expanded and diversified and found found other business models have, have done really well. I can speak to examples later. Maybe like what what's the problem with monetization? Like what are most people getting wrong, Ryan, that what's going on? Yeah, I think that people are looking at newsletters as the product rather than the medium. I think that that's a little bit of the issue. And I think that, you know, there are cases where the newsletter people are looking at it as like an asset to sell rather than a medium that they can use to potentially, you know, sell their own product. If you're over-reliant on sponsorships, you're going to be, in terms of like a revenue channel, you're going to be exposed to market forces that are just outside of your control. And I think we're already starting to see this. And I think this is kind of the, the root issue with like, whatever you want to call it, the bubble, the hype cycle, the boom that we're going through right now is there's just a lot of competition for opportunities at sponsorship and and advertising. And it's almost a race to the bottom in a way, especially in some verticals and niches, like some of the bigger verticals that we, we've we talked a lot about. Yeah, like let's AI. give some examples of that. Yeah. So AI, yeah. like there are a lot of AI newsletters that have hundreds of thousands of subscribers. There's the same advertisers for those, like, let's say there's five newsletters of 500,000 subscribers. They're all going after the same advertisers. So their ad rates get lower and lower as they're competing against each other. And so they sell on a CPM usually, or at least we can calculate it like that. And like those CPMs for those newsletters have are now at like 10 to $20, which is really low and, and doesn't really back out well if you're trying to build a business versus other niches are better. But also just overall, it's happened like overall as industry. There's just more newsletters now than there were a year ago. So there's more ad inventory. And so supply and demand, the sponsorship rates have gotten lower for everybody. I have a client that has north of 500,000 subscribers. They're more like a general business newsletter. And they were talking about last year, they were selling ads at a 50 to $70 CPM. And now they're seeing closer to like a 25 to $45 CPM. And so like everybody's rates have gone down. Some have gone down more than others, but that's one of the challenges people have run into. Yeah. And I mean, at the same time, there are newsletters that both or either of us have worked with as well that are in really valuable niches that yeah maybe they've been marginally impacted by you know the CPMs going lower and and less advertisers having the kind of budget to sponsor uh, newsletters specifically but they are able to build meaningful businesses off of sponsorship revenue i just think that a lot of folks are coming into the space at the same time and that's due to you have beehive and convertkit making building newsletters easier than ever you have Sparkloop and tools within Beehive, like Beehive Boost, uh, making acquisition cheaper, seemingly cheaper, right? And so a lot of folks are seeing a lot of opportunity to grow these big lists without maybe necessarily doing the due diligence on how am I going to monetize this effectively and sustainably, like in the long run? What are the metrics that I should be looking at for engagement and making sure that I'm actually building a valuable audience and not, and I know something that we talk a lot about is just not just relying on open rate, right? Like going that level deeper and ideally also identifying like an LTV for your subscribers, which is an exercise that we go through for, for both of our clients. I know Matt. And so, yeah, it's just, you know, it's like any boom or like any hype cycle, there's a big rush and there's going to be not people left holding the bag necessarily, but, but people that are going to have to learn pretty quickly how to monetize their lists effectively. A lot of people are not super sophisticated. Like they're just getting into this. I yeah. think 
a lot of great entrepreneurs are going to come out of this, but like the newsletter itself as a business might not be the one that they were expecting. I think a lot of people go in with this like general notion that if I build attention, I can monetize it. A lot of people throw that out there. A lot of big influencers in the business space say that a lot, but it's not really true. It doesn't mean that you can build a sustainable, profitable business off of just attention alone. You really need a product or service. And I think that's one thing so many media companies and newsletters completely don't miss or don't even think about is like, they think they're going to build an audience and then build a half-assed sponsorship business. Like a lot of them even do sponsorships very poorly and they don't even think about their advertising clients as customers. They kind of just think about them as a transactional relationship. And so they're not building relationships with advertisers in the way they should. They're not selling anything to their massive audience. And it's just, it's not, they don't have a business model, right? And I think if they started building an audience and also started building a product or a service at the same time, they would make a lot more money. And the ones that have done that have done really well. Like there's tons of examples, but some of the better ones I've seen have been like a Cody Sanchez, who's one of our clients. And she's built a huge newsletter of like 500K plus a huge audience across social media. She does some sponsorships, but she has multiple products that she sells people in her business. She has a lot of stuff going on, but it's in like the eight or nine figures because she's able to sell a product directly to the audience. And that's just kind of like common sense to me. Like if you build an audience, you want to sell them a product or a service, but a lot of people don't seem to get that. Yeah. I mean, that's something I feel like we talk about a lot. And I think that's that's why we make a point of, we talk about that a lot just in, in our discussions, recorded or not, but then also when we bring guests on to this podcast, that's that's why that's such a focus for us is how are you monetizing? A lot of folks are monetized. I mean, and don't let this discussion that we're having now confuse you. There are a lot of folks that are monetizing via sponsorships and building large businesses doing so, as we mentioned. But a lot of folks that are setting themselves up for the long run are also thinking about how can I build an owned product that I can drive to or an owned membership or community. And hopefully that's revealed itself as a theme through these interviews that we've been hosting on, on the podcast so far. Yeah, we'll see a lot more of that. And we should mention Nick Huber. I think he replied to this this tweet and he disagreed. He's like, my newsletter adds millions of dollars in enterprise value to my companies per quarter. And people still want to look inside the mind of someone to know what they're talking about. So Nick, like for those who don't know, Nick Huber, you could call him like a business influencer, but he has a portfolio of like five to 10 service businesses or agencies. And he has a newsletter. It's called Nick Huber under his name, or it's called Sweaty Startup. I forget what he calls it. He's spent a lot of money investing into newsletter growth. He writes it every week. And basically within that newsletter, every newsletter has like four different ads for his different agencies that he owns. And so like he's able to use that newsletter as a distribution channel as a marketing engine for all of his agencies. And so in that case, it's worked really well for them, for him. Like in that use case of a newsletter, it's crushed it for him. And that's why he disagrees. But in the use case of only selling sponsorships, it's been much more difficult for people. And you see a world of difference there. Yeah. And like at a high level, like again, like just going back to the original point of the newsletter being the medium, like a newsletter's role in building an audience is engaging an email list, which is an incredibly valuable asset. Like owning an email list is an incredibly valuable asset, arguably more so for a lot of reasons that we've discussed on the pod and discussed on Twitter and everything. A lot of reasons it's more valuable than owning an audience on kind of these third-party platforms or like a Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or et cetera, because you don't have the platform risk. You just own that that audience. You can speak to them. You can communicate with, the, with them however you like via the medium of email. The newsletter is there to engage those folks 
So saying that we're like in a newsletter bubble, it's like, are we in an email list bubble? You know, like, I I don't think so. It's like, are we in a Twitter audience bubble? I I understand the sentiment that a lot of folks are building right now in the newsletter space. But ultimately, if you're doing it well, you're building yourself a valuable asset in an email list and an engaged email list, ideally. Let's talk about that because like to, to, to make money on the internet or anyway, you need some type of audience to sell things to, right? And so where, if you don't have a newsletter or an email list, where do you build that audience? You can build it on social platforms that are not controlled by you and can go away overnight. That's, that's, doesn't always happen, but it has happened to a lot of people, right? Or things change drastically and their, and their reach is cut in half over a period of six months. That's happened to a lot of people that we know. So you have to have some type of owned audience if, they're, if you're trying to build a sustainable business, right? And so how do you build an audience? There's really like four different ways. There's email, aka newsletters, there's podcast. There's SMS, there's direct to your website, and there would be private communities. There might be another one that I'm not really thinking of, but like out of those five different things, which one is the best place for most people to start or most people to focus on? It's probably email newsletters. And so like, what's the, if you're not building a newsletter, what's the alternative to your own audience? Like if you need to at least have one of those owned audience platforms, ideally two or more, right? So I still think even though there's a lot more newsletters, it still makes sense for most businesses to have one because you have to have some type of owned audience so you can sell your stuff. Yeah, it's the reason why <laughs> I think just a lot of people caught on at relatively the same time because of the publicity from you know the sales of the hustle, the sales of Morning Brew, other large new you know Milk Road, other large newsletters that sold in a relatively short period of time. People caught on to the fact that oh, there's some value value in building an email list. That's why you see all these huge creators on. Twitter, especially, all driving via those auto plugs. Hey, sign up for my newsletter. They're just trying to transfer as much of their rented audience via Twitter to an owned audience. And it's all happening at the same time in this condensed period of time. And I think that's why maybe people have this sentiment that like, oh, this can't go on forever. This is, you know, I think there will be a lot of people that drop out of building because it it takes a lot of work to build a consistent cadence of newsletters or just like any sort of content. Like a lot of you know, people would start a YouTube channel and then probably drop off after a few months because it takes a lot of work to, to write a script and record. Newsletters also take a good amount of work. And so, yeah, I think we will see people drop off. I think we will see people realize, oh, maybe this isn't for me in the long run or to the point that we're making earlier. And I think we'll continue to, to go into more depth on I'm not able to monetize effectively. You know, I can't grow as fast as I want to. You know, those are all, I think, really good points. I don't think it's, it's any reason why people should stop building in the space to think that we're in a hype cycle right now. Yeah. And it just happens with anything like people who build a startup, you know, most of them don't, don't continue for a long time. Like we said over and over. So what, what would be interesting to talk about? Do you want to mention the stuff that Katie Hoff was telling you about, about monetization and ad rates? Cause it's changed a lot. And I talked about CPMs earlier, which is, which means cost per 1000 impressions in the case of newsletters an open is an impression. So that used to be how ads were priced based off of impressions, AKA opens. Yeah. But the industry is changing. So maybe tell us how that works now. Yeah. I mean, first of all, shout out to Katie Huff and the team at MadRev. They're probably, I would say, if you're looking to monetize via sponsorships, they're the best out there at doing it. They're the old ad sales team from The Hustle, who Matt and I both work with. And so we, we know that team well. But yeah, I think just at a high level, I think the way that especially large sponsors that are, are savvy, 
to how newsletter sponsorships work or, or advertisers who are savvy to that, they probably won't be looking at pricing on a CPM basis. A lot of them are already moving to kind of like a cost per click basis. And you see this actually with stuff like Beehive's ad network, for example, the placements or opportunities that you're kind of automatically matched with, they're all priced on a, on a cost per click basis as well. And I think this just speaks a lot to what we've been saying for a while now, which is that look at clicks, look at click-through rate. And I think eventually it's it's not just going to be click-through rate. And I think it already should be moving in this direction. It should be ad click-through rate or sponsor click-through rate or like paid placement click-through rate because it is fairly easy to game clicks too, right? Like if you just have a bunch of links, if you just have a curated link section everywhere, it's like that's your click-through rate going up. It should be clicks on valuable links rather than just clicks in general. So yeah, just interesting, interesting trends, I think. And I think speaks to- Can you break down- the category by click. So like, just like with some newsletters who have higher or lower CPMs, when we used to price it like that, advertisers will value the, the cost per click differently, or they'll be willing to pay a different amount per click. Could you just tell right. us like what kind of like a ballpark of what people are seeing based on what Katie is? It's not like perfect information, but it's at least some data on this. Yeah, I think thinking through it, you, you think about like consumer, so like a broad audience, like a broad consumer newsletter, something like hey, we do business news or we do tech news. Tech news actually might be more valuable, so maybe that's a bad example. But you know, just a broad, a broad audience that's maybe not made up of like decision makers or at least like primarily of those kinds of roles, probably expect like a dollar to five dollars cost per click. If you're going to be, if it's an audience of decision makers, it's, it's a little bit more niche and it's like a higher value product. I mean, it could go as high as like $20 cost per click. So it's just, it's just like dependent on a lot of factors. And also it's dependent on, how well you're able to sell your newsletter, right, to, to potential advertisers. So, but I would just say, in terms of cost per click, that's you know, or in terms of, of of ways to price a newsletter, cost per click would be probably a lot more common moving forward than something like CPM, even. Yeah. So what, what Katie was saying was like that's what advertisers and their team is thinking about. Where a lot of newsletter operators are still thinking CPM, advertisers are think are thinking CPC, cost per click. So we need to change our mindset to that and optimize for that. Yeah. And um, I think just in general, like in terms of just gauging subscriber quality, that's something we've talked about a lot, but don't just look at high level click through rate, like the way Beehive reports it or the way ConvertKit reports it. Go in and look at what links they're actually clicking on and try to optimize like, okay, if, if you're trying to get folks to click on ads, look at how many people are clicking on those ads and I think eventually, I mean, it would be ideal if those tools, if those platforms would give us like yeah, an ad click-through rate, right? Versus just click-through rate. But Yeah, that's something BI should add because if you look at Morning Bros tech stack currently, they look at ad click-through rate and they look at ad click-through rate by source. So they would say like subscribers from Facebook ads have a 1% ad click-through rate versus subscribers from Twitter ads have a 0.5% ad click-through rate. So we should invest more into Facebook ads, for example. And so sophisticated media companies like Morning Brew are doing that. It's hard to do that type of analysis without like a developer right now of just Beehive, but that's a feature that I think they could add somewhat easily. But for now, if you're not able to figure that out, your ad click-through rate by source or your ad click-through rate in general, you can figure out your ad click-through rate in general. But if you're not be able to figure it out by source, you can at least look at your click-through rate by source and invest more into the sources that have higher click-through rates because 90% of the time, if they have a higher overall click-through rate, they also have a higher ad click-through. You know, it's, it's usually not sneaky like that, or it's usually not misleading in that way. It's pretty straightforward most of the time. Yeah. Do you want to talk about predictions? So we talked about, are we in a newsletter bubble? We gave our take on that. Do you want to talk about what's next for the industry based on the current state of things? Yeah. And I think, so 
you and I have talked a lot about this, and then Emmanuel Sinka, Manu, who we've actually had on this podcast before, he put out a great thread about this on Twitter, or a great uh, tweet about it. As with any hype cycle, we will see a lot of people drop out of creating or building in in the space. People are going to get tired of creating. They're going to get tired of... They're going to maybe get discouraged by the fact that they're not able to find sponsors at the rate that they thought they would, or at least at a reliable level. And then I think, you know, and this is something we can go into more, but I think because of that, we will see lists go up for sale, essentially. Like people will have built these lists and they'll be looking to offload them, essentially, or get get paid out for what they've invested in them. And for the larger players, they'll have an opportunity to buy up lists at maybe a discount, right? Or, or at least at least it costs, but maybe a discount as well. So I think that we'll start to see a lot more newsletter acquisitions. I know, I know you just acquired a newsletter. Let's talk about it now because it's in the same type of way. I'm not that this newsletter wasn't doing good. It's just that the person who owned it wanted to move on to different projects. Yeah. Um, and so because there's a lot of people that won't continue their newsletters or they won't figure out a business model that works, they're going to burn out, right? So they're going to have newsletters that become inactive or they want to shut down. And a lot of them are just going to shut down and nothing's going to happen. But some of them are going to be able to sell for some amount of money. And usually when you're valuing a newsletter like this, you're not going to take that newsletter, especially if you're another media company or newsletter, you're not going to take that newsletter and operate it independently. You're going to basically use it as a paid acquisition place. So you acquire their newsletter and email list, and then you roll them into your email list and you acquire those subscribers and you grow a bigger audience. And so it's like, it's a, it's basically a, a subscriber acquisition rather than a company acquisition, right? So that's why I did with this newsletter that I just acquired. So the newsletter is called The Newsletter Nerd. It is written by Jay. I'm going to screw up his last name, so I want to make sure I get that right. He's Jay Inspires on Twitter. Jay Yang. Um, Jay Yang. Okay, thank you. I had to pull up his Twitter. Yeah. So Jay's awesome. He's actually really young. He's still in high school, and he built this awesome newsletter called Newsletter Nerd up to about 1,500 subscribers. It's when I talked to him about buying it, he would probably have been inactive for like two or three weeks at that point because he had moved on to other projects. He wants to do other things. And so instead of just shutting that newsletter down and never sending them again, it's an opportunity for me to buy it for somewhat low cost and to roll it into my newsletter and grow my list. And it makes a lot of sense for me because I can go and buy a newsletter about newsletters for a similar amount of what I would pay per subscriber from a Facebook ad or like a Twitter ad. It's like right now I run Twitter ads to grow my newsletter. I'm pretty comfortable paying two to $3 per subscriber. So if I'm able to acquire a newsletter at a per subscriber rate of around that, or maybe even more, that's a really good deal for me. And obviously I still, we're still yet to see how this works out. So I'll have to follow up like in a month or two about how this works, but I think we're off to a good start. So basically I, I'll just explain the process for people who are interested in. I think Jay reached out to me. We hopped on a call about what he wanted to do with it. I told him I wanted to roll it in my newsletter, which is what he expected. We agreed on a price per subscriber. We also agreed that I would only pay for unique subscribers because it's a newsletter about newsletters. I have a newsletter about newsletters. So there's going to be some audience overlap, but I don't want to pay for people that are already on my email list. And so we did a, a quick analysis in Google Sheets to see how many unique subscribers that Jay had that I didn't have on my list. And so we would just value the newsletter based on those unique subscribers. And so I won't share the subscriber amount, but I basically, like, because it's a small transaction, he had 1,500 subscribers. He sent me an invoice. I paid it. He sent me admin access to his Beehive account, which is his email service provider. And then we did a kind of announcement and launch to add those people to my newsletter. And so it, it didn't take a ton of time. And I think it's going to be a good outcome for both of us. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds sounds like it's uh, it's going to work well, especially with just how niche the audience is. Yeah. I was curious how, how you would 
facilitate that transfer. But I think that announcement, I, I mean, that, that sounds like it makes sense. Yeah. It's maybe worth saying like how to do it in a way where people aren't confused why they're being added because I'm, I'm importing them into my beehive and sending them my newsletter now. And so like you can get some spam problems, like people can be confused. So you have to do it in a way that is very clear to the audience. And I think a lot of people could screw this up. So maybe I should mention that really quickly because yeah. I don't want people to do this and do it the wrong way. So I think it's important that the person you're buying it from send an email to their list announcing what's happening. So Jay sent this morning, he sent an email about the announcement to his list. I think he also posted on Twitter. I posted on Twitter too about the announcement, but it's important that they know what's happening. Then he explained what, what happens next. And then so after he sent that announcement, that's when I imported them to my list and they received my welcome email. And then after that, I think you need a lot of reminders, right? Because people aren't going to open every email. So after that, I schedule an email to send out like four hours later to that same list, just reminding them what happened. And that email is from me. So we have one email from Jay, one welcome email from me, one follow-up email from me about what's happening. And then I have another email scheduled from Jay's Beehive account that's from me tomorrow morning to remind them again. And so there's like multiple touch points. I think we're going to have four to five emails just to make sure everybody is aware of what's happening so that they will continue to engage my stuff over time. Because like it's if you don't do this right, it's an opportunity to lose a big chunk of that audience. So yeah. there has to be a transfer process that's executed well. And so that's that's the process that we did. We'll see how it turns out over time. I like that. I actually think, yeah, having that many touch points makes a ton of sense to I mean, protect the investment, make sure that people know what's going on. I think that's really helpful tactical information as this happens. <laughs> Probably more and more, right? I think we will see this happen, especially going into 2024. Folks will be looking to, to offload their lists. And I think that there's going to be a huge opportunity. Yeah, because the cost per subscriber can be really good. I think a lot of these, like you could get some of these lists for $1 per subscriber. I didn't pay that low for this um, because I thought the audience was really valuable. But you know, people are going to want to get rid of these things. So it's for people that are successful and have built a business model that works. You know, I think this is going to be a cool acquisition play. It's not happening a ton yet, but we're, we're starting to see it now. A lot of AI newsletters are starting to sell. It's going to happen more and more over the next 12 months or so. In the case of folks buying these lists too, another interesting way to price it could maybe be cost per engaged subscriber, right? Cost per engaged unique subscriber, especially talking about like the AI newsletters where maybe it's a fairly low engagement rate or, or maybe lower than average. I don't know, depending, depending, on, the, depending on the newsletter, right? But it will be interesting to see. Any predictions from your side outside of what we've already touched on? Yeah, that's one that I kind of expanded on. Like Emmanuel wrote about that. I wrote about that a little bit too. It, one other important thing that is like if you're buying one of these, you really need to understand their analytics before you buy it. You can't just say like, oh, I have a 10,000 person email list. And you just buy that. Like you, All subscribers are unequal. So you have to really dive into their analytics before you make the decision on this. And that's what I did with Jay. Let's see here. Maybe we could cover one prediction that might be interesting to you. I wrote a post about this too. You want to talk about my prediction number one? This is SaaS and service businesses will start newsletters. Would that be a good one to cover? Because I think yeah. we have time for one. And I think this, so yeah, the prediction SaaS and service businesses will, will start to build newsletters. I mean, I think this is the thesis of Tailwind. And also, I mean, it's backed by by what we've seen with acquisitions of the hustle, for example, and of some other newsletters by SaaS businesses. So as we mentioned, kind of in the discussion about whether or not it's a newsletter bubble, so on and so forth, I mean, the value is in the email list, right? And keeping that email list engaged. And that's what the newsletter is there for. It's just a medium of keeping an email list engaged, ideally through providing valuable content and building trust between yourself and the audience, 
actually giving them something that they want to open and read every week, which I think is an important qualifier, right? You can't just like send them like a bunch of links and call it a newsletter. It should be something that actually provides a lot of value. And it gives you an opportunity to build that trust, get your brand values across in a way that's actually meaningful and digestible and interesting. And ultimately sell more, right? I mean, like that's that's what it comes down to as well for a lot of these businesses. And and as we mentioned, like if you're unable to monetize, then you're probably gonna burn out pretty quickly or you won't be able to fund your growth. I think it makes a lot of sense and I think we're seeing it already at Tailwind. We work with a lot of folks that are in, you know, building SaaS products, building service businesses, looking to build an effective top of funnel or utilize an email list that they have already have that they've built through product pages, through lead magnets. They're only hitting them once or twice a month with oftentimes a lot less with marketing emails, just straight up direct response marketing emails. And they're just looking for a way to engage those folks. So I think it's something we're seeing already and something we'll see a lot more of as well. Yeah, I kind of think about this as newsletters as a growth strategy, newsletters as a marketing channel. I think newsletters are like the new funnels. So if funnels were big in 2016 through 2018, a newsletter can be the new marketing funnel. And the reason why it's so effective is it's both a top of the funnel marketing channel and a bottom of the funnel marketing channel. So we're bringing in new subscribers that are interested in the type of stuff that we sell, right? Because we can build a newsletter all around the niche of whatever our ideal client is into. So we're bringing in top of funnel leads in the newsletter that we can sell to every single week by sending them an email. And also we can send them marketing emails on top of the newsletter too. And we can also look at who's subscribing, match their data to LinkedIn and reach out to those prospects if they're qualified too. So you can do lots of different things with your newsletter as far as top of funnel demand generation. And then you're able to send this valuable newsletter every single week to your existing leads and continue to nurture them, show them why you're trustworthy and why you're smart at what you do. And it's opportunity for them to buy again or to, to win back old clients or just nurture leads that you can sell to later. And so you have both of those things going on in the newsletter. Whereas if you look at the other marketing strategies that SaaS and service companies are using, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's like we're sending people to a sales page to become a lead or sending people to a lead magnet. And a newsletter is like a lead magnet on steroids. They're not just coming for the lead magnet, they're expecting to hear from us every week and they want to open the content. And so it's much more effective than a lead magnet. If you if you have a successful lead magnet strategy now, you should really think about starting a newsletter because it's gonna take that same type of marketing strategy to the next level and it's gonna be a lot more effective. So that's my take on it. Any closing thoughts? I think we can, it's a good place to wrap it up. No, I mean, I'm sure we'll have a lot more to say about this in coming weeks and interviews and discussions that just you and I have, but all to say, to sum it up, there's a lot changing. You know, we are in like this huge newsletter boom right now. So yeah, we'll, we'll always be uh, keeping everybody listening updated on, on what's next. Yeah, that'll be fun. And also we haven't said this before, but if you like this podcast, please subscribe to it and please review it on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. That would mean a ton. I think we've already got a few really good reviews, which is awesome to see. So we really appreciate that. That helps us reach more people and we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow the Newsletter Operator Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and give us a five-star rating to help support the show. If you want to learn even more about how to grow and monetize a newsletter, go to newsletteroperator.com. And if you'd like to work with Matt or Ryan directly, check the links in the description and apply to work with our agencies. 